Good to see everyone. Please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. How many of you have ever put together a model of some sort? Right? What kind of models did you guys put together? Starships, airplanes. That seems to be the trifecta there. All right. Um, after you put that together, did any of you try to go for a ride in it? Or fly it? Well, well the ones that are meant. Did you fly in it? No. Because it was a model, right? It was meant to represent something. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, so often this passage is called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually found in John chapter 17, where the Lord actually prays. This is a model prayer. He says, when you pray, do it like this. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. We're not, we're not going to make the mistake of trying to fly in this airplane. And so we're going to pick up in verse 9 and read down through verse 15. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you for the work that you're doing here. And Father, I pray that our prayers will reflect your heart, and our prayers will be selfless prayers. That our prayers will be about you and about what you're up to and about our understanding and about getting to know you and about just listening and spending time with you. And Father, I pray as the disciples desire to be taught by you on how to pray, that we'll learn that lesson here. And so I thank you for this opportunity we have together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, this morning, as we look at the model prayer, we're going to discuss three areas. The priorities in prayer, we're going to see a deliverance and what that means, and forgiveness. And so we begin with priorities in prayer. This is the model prayer that Jesus gave to teach the important areas of prayer to the disciples. And so they were asking, they wanted to know how to do it, they wanted to know how to communicate with God. We had gone through this whole thing. Of they were talking about how to live and to their credit they asked him to teach them, teach us how to pray and so uh, prayer is very important in the Christian life prayer is not a 911 phone call prayer is a community, can have a relationship with no communication it just doesn't work that way well you have one You have. <laughs> it is an estranged relationship <laughs> And it is, well, remember when we used to talk? You ever had that with a human being? Remember when we used to be friends or when we used to be closer? 
And that's kind of what I wonder sometimes is what our relationship with God looks like. Yet we're trusting him uh, for our salvation and for all of our life. And so he gives them this model prayer. And we're going to talk about some of the elements that he gave them. He, uh, he told them to pray to the Father in heaven. And uh, he was telling them who and where to direct your heart when you pray. Our heart should be focused heavenward. Our, folks, our heart should be focused on the Father, on God. Not on ourselves, not on our own agendas, not on our own things. He said, when you pray, pray our Father who arts in heaven, who is in heaven. And so we're to think about him. We're to focus on him. We, one thing to remember is positionally where he is. He is in heaven. He sees it all. He knows it all. We're coming to the one who has all the answers. Not just somebody that we think might be able to help us or might give insight to our situation. And so that's where we begin with a focus on him. He said, Halloween be your name. And uh, what we're talking about is not Halloween. Halloween means holy. So we say holy is his name. Holy is the name of the Lord. Even the angels in heaven cry that. They fly around. And we're told that they have six wings. With two they cover their feet. With two they cover their face. And with two they fly. This is found in Isaiah 9. And they cry holy, holy, holy. Day and night. And so we recognize his position. We recognize who he is. And he is holy. He is holy. Hallowed be your name. You know, it's so... We want things... You know, it's funny. There's been a, a switch in the Christian world today. We like things to be casual as we come to God. We like to come in and be relaxed and we want to be able to have communication. And, and I understand the origin of that, of people moving from this... This idea of they fear God so much that they tremble and they have no communication. They're afraid to even approach or go to him. And I don't think that's the kind of fear that God talks about or even wants us to have. But there's a reverence that comes with when we go. We, if we were all to be in court or we were being charged with something, we would wear something usually sometimes nicer to court than we would to be in the presence of God. And I'm not, I'm not here arguing for a certain dress code. Please don't get that. What I'm saying is, it's about heart before him. And uh, when we come before him, we need to remember that he's holy. And that we honor him, respect him. Don't, he's not just some casual Joe or, or the big man upstairs. He's God Almighty. Who created heavens and earth. But we were just talking about this morning. By thinking and saying, let there be light. And there was. That's how powerful God is. If he says it, it happens. Period. No conversation. Somebody asked me, I was talking to a pastor in town, and I, he asked me what color the sky was. And I know what he was doing. I said, what color is this? He said, what color is the sky? And I said, it's whatever color God calls it. And... Uh, and he looked at me and he said, well, isn't the sky blue? I said, that is chartreuse, if that's what God calls it. And uh, he said, this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> and it was over the exchange lifestyle we were talking about. Uh, and so it was, it was really interesting because we so often have definitions and want God to fit in those definitions. God is the definition. 
And so when you go to him, he is the answer. The answer, we already have the answer. It's him. There's nothing more that we really need. And so he tells us when we do that, understand who we're talking to and where he's at. Understand that he's holy. And then our prayer, the first thing when it comes to requests, if you will, is for his kingdom to come. Now, the kingdom of God seems to be this mystery. I remember when I sat in the pew and people would talk about the kingdom of God. That was like this big mystery to me. It was like God's kingdom. That's what he's in charge of. And I don't know how that relates to life. And that was kind of mysterious. And it was, uh, I really had a hard time defining it. I don't know if any of you are in that situation, but that was the situation that I was in. And so let me try to help with some of that. The kingdom of God is not only the visible, expressed kingdom that's in heaven, it's also the work that he's doing here in the lives of all of us and what his agenda is in working that together. And so when we pray for his kingdom to come, that is a place where he is leading and in control and in charge. And that's what our prayers ought to surround as we're lifting up other people, as we're praying for ourselves, it's an issue of submission and to God's leadership and only his leadership, not to our own, not to our own thoughts or our own desires and our own wants. It should go to his. And so when we pray for his kingdom to come, it's praying for the alignment of all of us with him. But then he, did, he gives us... Uh, he, he gives us something that turns a little more personal. He says, your will be done. And we see that, and that's more of a personal submission. That comes to me personally. Now I'm responsible. Remember when Jesus was praying? When he, when he, was, he was actually praying and talking to the Father himself. Where he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so what he was doing was this right here. He was bringing himself into submission to what God was wanting to do. Now, is Jesus God? Yes, he is. Absolutely he is. And so then what was going on in Jesus at that moment? He realized better than anybody can understand that that was going to be tough and painful to go through the cross. And we think a lot of times of the beating and the hanging and all of that. I'm not so sure that that was the, I'm not so sure that was the hard part. Becoming sin for us, I think that was the hard part. I think that was the hard part. The hurtful part. Everything I've ever done was laid on him. He became it and God punished it in him that day. Talk about unfair. It should never be any of us say, well, that's not fair. When in light of that, you ever say that to your parents, kids? Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. You got a bigger piece. Parents, let me give you a secret. When you're cutting pie and you're going to give it to your kids, tell them you're going to cut it and you're going to pick. <coughs> Let the other one pick the piece. <coughs> I guarantee you, the ruler will come out. Because we are going to get that thing perfect. And so, yeah, that's because we hit it. You hit us with it. 
<laughs> Just your will on earth, he goes on, your will on earth as it is in heaven. What is God, how is God's uh, will functioning in heaven? Pretty well. Pretty clear. It happens just as he wants it to happen. There's no argument, no discussion. Not, I don't like that God. I don't want to do that. Whatever he says, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a situation here on earth that's just like that. Now, there will be a day that's closer today, that's closer than we are today. That'll be like that. That'll be the millennial kingdom, but it still won't be that. Not until we get to heaven will we have the full expression of that. And so on earth as it is in heaven, and in heaven it functions freely without any obstacles. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we often... How many of you, let me, I'm going to get some news for you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, okay? How many of you worry about stuff? You sit around and worry, and you're like, man, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. I want you to know something, worry works. You know why it works? Because whatever you worry about almost never happens. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? We're not to sit around and wring our hands and worry about stuff. That's a joke because I don't think y'all got it. Worry is not something that we're supposed to do. We so often are worried about tomorrow or three days from now or a week from now or a month from now. And he says, man, pray about today. Pray about today because the truth is there ain't no promises tomorrow. Can you imagine? You know what? I would surmise this, that people have passed away worrying about a day that would never come. What a waste of time. <laughs> what a waste of time. Give me today what I need for today. Let's focus on today. And so often, we're marking time to that certain day. And I, I've talked before about <laughs> our life is more than like five or six days. We think about graduation. When we graduate high school, we graduate college. We think about our wedding day, the birth of our first child, and other things that come along. That's like three days. Your life is more than three or five days. Those are major events, yes. But they're, you know what? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's not the major events that are going to be problems. The major stuff I don't worry about with you guys. Y'all are solid. You're not going to let the major stuff come. It's the little stuff that gets us right. Well, it's not a big deal. I wonder if the devil came up with that phrase. It's not a big deal, Mark. It's not a big deal. Insert your name here. It doesn't matter. How about this phrase? Nobody's going to know. So me knowing about it, I guess, is immaterial. That doesn't affect anybody. That's crazy to think we live in that kind of a vacuum. Give us this day our daily bread. Focus on immediate needs. Forgive us our debts 
as we have also forgiven our debtors. So they're coming. This is going to circle back later. Circle forward. They're coming, having already forgiven their debtors. That's what it says, right? Did you see that? Say yes if you saw that. Yes. Yes. We have already forgiven them, as we have forgiven. Not if we've forgiven, as we have forgiven, forgive us. See, you can't come to God with a selfish heart. You can't come to God holding stuff and operate in the grace of God without dispensing the grace of God. It doesn't work that way. And so he says here in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, have you ever heard it put this way? Well, do it as I've done it, and I hope you've done it. You ever heard that one? You know, so God, I'm asking for forgiveness as I've done it. And you go, oh man, I better get to it. I better do it now, just so I can get it. That's, I think, a mislead of Scripture, because he's talking about heart here. And so, pray, and ask God to forgive you like you guys have forgiven, in the same way. In other words, the expression of God through you is to you as well. Y'all see that? Please don't miss that because I've heard this preached other ways. I've heard this. If you want God to forgive you, you better forgive other people. You ever heard that? We're going to get to that. That's going to be our third thing today. And I'm going to address that because there is something. I'm going to tell you something. There is, there is a theological truth here that you, we need to not leave out of this room without knowing it. And so here, we're to focus on our need of forgiveness first. Notice he didn't say, and as you have forgiven others, God will forgive you. That's not what he said. That's how it's preached. Forgive me. Focus on himself first. Forgive me as I forgive. He didn't come in with credentials trying to Leverage God. Uh, good luck. A focus on our need first for forgiveness prepares us to not live with unforgiveness for others. Man, when I realize all the crazy and dumb things that I've done or said or thought, you guys never think bad things, do you? Nobody? Just checking. Nobody? Listen, I'm tell you something. I had to drive in Austin in the afternoon this week. <sighs> Enough said. <laughs> they, I was on, I'll, I'll just tell you. <laughs> this is terrible. I was on 71. And you know, all that construction they're doing as you go to the airport when you're coming across town. And there was a trash truck broken down where it came down to two lanes that where those little walls are where you got no room. Broken down with a cop sitting behind him just sitting there. And I could I was thinking, get the guy towed out of here. I mean, we got six lanes of traffic going to one. 
I'm sure they had called and they had done everything they could, but it encroached on my time. <laughs> so that's my confession this morning. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. So <laughs> I hope I'm going to get some healing. I'll give you some, Jesse. <laughs> But yeah, I remember sitting there going, are you serious? Really? Yeah, it's rough. And so forgive us and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. He is teaching them what's important to the Father so they can pray. He's telling them what's important. But we so often just kind of blow through this. And we don't need to blow through that part. And so now that we know what's important, we're given another uh, phrase here in verse 13. And I want to make sure this is clear to us because some of this stuff could, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Why would Jesus tell them to pray that God will not lead them into temptation? We read that and we've heard it all our life, so we blow through it. We don't ever think about it. Does God tempt us? No. So why would they pray and ask God not to do something that he doesn't do? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you how this works. James... And he doesn't have the verse. James, not you, James, but James in the Bible. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, tells us that God does not tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. So why would we pray for God to not do something he already can't do? I'm glad you So here's what's happening. The word here. Translated as temptation is parasmos. Uh, and it's not translated that anywhere, it's not translated that way anywhere before the New Testament. It was always translated as testing. So they're not praying that God doesn't lead them into temptation. They're praying that they won't have to go through testing. When you do the work, folks, if you see something that don't jive, do the work. That word was not translated that way. That was a change in meaning of that word. And it changes our understanding of these scriptures. In other words, now we know that God does test us. But we don't want to go through that. We don't want to have to be tested. We want to be solid. And not have to face those things. And so what he's saying is to pray to God that he won't test you. Now watch this. By allowing the evil causing the testing to remain. And deliver us from evil. Because evil causes testing. Because what overcomes darkness? Light. So the expression of light. Not the potentiality of light. The expression of light. The expression of God in us overcomes that.
that which God sent for us to, be, to test us. And so the reason he's testing us is to allow himself to be expressed. But if we follow the first part of this, and God is expressing himself in and through us naturally, then that makes that make a lot more sense. In other words, get yourself in alignment. So you don't pull off to the side of the road without intention. It's funny, it's true in our cars too, isn't it? You ever had a car that if you let go of the steering wheel, you hit the wall? Yeehaw! I've had that car. You know if one of your, your uh, triceps is bigger than the other one, then you're holding And so here we are. We pray to be delivered from that, not to have to go through it. But then he talks about forgiveness. He tells us, he says, if you forgive others, God forgives you. If you don't, God doesn't forgive you. So if we're dealing with unforgiveness, does that mean we're unforgiven? That's the question I'm posing. We're going to answer that together. Do I have unforgiven sin if I'm dealing with unforgiveness towards somebody? The answer to that is no. Now I want you to watch this because that doesn't seem to be what it's saying, right? I want you to follow me. Because if you get lost here, you're going to be lost with this. If I have unforgiven sin, am I still saved? Yes. No. Mm -hmm. How much of my sin was forgiven at the cross? Oh. When I came to Jesus Christ and put my faith and trust in Him, how much of my sin was forgiven? Oh. From birth to, yeah. to death. That includes unforgiveness, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, how can I have unforgiveness... How can I be unforgiven by God and still be a Christian? Come back next week. No, no we're going to go through this. We can't leave you there. No. We would be lost. So what is he talking about? This is a reference back to verse 12. I want you to follow me. Where we ask God to forgive to forgive us as we have forgiven others. So what. <laughs> when I approach God. With the attitude to forgive me. As I've forgiven others. Then I usually check myself to see if I've forgiven others. Right? If I, if I realize. That I'm in need of forgiveness. And I know that it's important to have a right heart before God. And that it matters to him that I forgive others also. As I have been forgiven. Then I let those things go. And I forgive. And so. As we walk through this. Realizing your own need of forgiveness. Is a position of repentance. You cannot hold unforgiveness. Against others while doing that. And so. But what is our subject? Our subject is prayer. Our subject is prayer. 
And so what he's talking about is having an inconsistent prayer life. He's talking about having an inconsistent prayer life. So what this is, is actually a good heart check for your prayer life to see if you're praying in humility or pride. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what he's saying is, is if you come here in humility, then I'm going to hear your prayers. And if you don't, I won't. I'm not going to hear your prayers because that's about you. That's about selfishness. That's about not seeking the will of God because the will of God is for us to forgive. So we can't say that we're going to come and seek after him and want what he wants, but not actually live it and do it. This is a hypocritical position. And so he's saying, if you come with that attitude, you're going to miss out on what I have for you. And there's going to be issues we're still going to have to talk about. But we still have this issue before us of unforgiveness from God, right? Peter had the same problem in understanding this as we do today. When he said, when Jesus went down to wash their feet. And he said, oh, you shall never wash my feet. You wash me. And he's like, if I don't, you don't have any part with me. And he says, well, then wash me all over. He goes, no. Jesus says, no. Those who have been bathed don't need to be bathed again. And so it's not a salvation issue. It's a relationship issue. Because Jesus still had to clean them. We still, when we do things wrong, if we do things wrong, if we make the wrong choice, still need to go and ask for forgiveness, don't we? And if we don't do that's the foot washing. We're restoring the communication and the relationship. But not this, it's not a salvation thing. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, if you don't deal with this, I can't help you with that. I can't help you with the relationship or with the communication side of things. Listen. So why are they praying for forgiveness at all if their sin has been forgiven? And that's where Peter came, came in. And so we pray humbly, not arrogantly. And so when we pray, and we know that we... In other words, he's saying it's, your feet are still dirty, you're left unaddressed. Because your heart isn't right. And so if we consider the model prayer here, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. Are you, before we do that, are you guys with me? Go and give me that look. Amen. You're amen, you give me the look, or amen, you're with me. <laughs> amen. <laughs> our sins have been forgiven, but our communication is interrupted with him when we participate in things that are not of God. And he's saying to address that and make sure that our hearts are pure. We can't play, listen, you can't play games on God. 
Anybody here ever tried beside me? <laughs> I've done it all, man. How many of you have ever tried to strike a deal with God? Well, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. It's like that. We're going to have to show the movie The End with uh, Burt Reynolds in it. Where he's negotiating with God. He's going to kill himself and he's swimming in the ocean. And then he changes his mind and he's out there. He says, God, if you save me, I'll give you 90% of my income. 90%. And he keeps swimming. He's like, oh, I'm so tired. He keeps swimming. As he gets closer, he goes, oh, it's closer. I give you 70%. He keeps going down as he gets closer to the shore. We bargain with God all the time. We may not call it that or realize that that's what it is. God's not in a bargain. We're in a submission role, ladies and gentlemen. He is God and we are not. And it is a joy and a delight. And how could we, if we understand the cross, hold anything against anybody? Well, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but you don't know what you did to him. And I think we forget that. And we also don't know. <laughs> and we also don't know what he did for us with the cross. Either. We live oblivious lives to the, the power and impact the cross has on changing us from the inside out. We kind of go, we, <laughs> we like go through suffrage. We're going to, not like back in the day, in the early, but like we're suffering. We're just, we're just going to, you know, I'm just a, you ever hear this? Well, I'm just nothing and God is everything. That one's out there on Facebook right now. You know, I'm just nothing and God, you know, that's a lie. Did you know that's a lie? I've almost commented a couple times but I'm afraid it's going to be a firestorm. And that see that fear leading. Watch out. <laughs> it's coming. Because I've got to apply it too. You aren't nothing. God created you with value. Then God got ripped off. Because he paid the life of his son for you. For nothing. If you're nothing. But that sounds so holy and pious. I'm just nothing and God is everything. It's not holy or pious to agree with a lie. Because it sounds good. That's a self-righteous, basically elevating yourself by saying, by look at me how holy I am. Accepting what God says about you and living in that, that's the meekness. That's what meekness is. What do you think, Moses? You know what? We're told that nobody even wants to study this. Moses was the meekest man that ever lived, right? We don't even know what meekness is, do we? We go, oh, that's good. We think it's really kind of a quiet, and I'm just kind of meek, and I don't bother anybody, because I want great offense. That's not what meekness is. What did Moses say? When God said, I'm going to use you to speak to Pharaoh. You remember what he said? <laughs> Why don't you get Aaron? He can talk better than me. Remember that? But instead, he accepted the role, knowing it wasn't his strength. He aligned himself with the will of God for him, not trusting his own resources, but trusting God. That's meekness, ladies and gentlemen. We so often think that God can use our strengths. And did God give us our strengths? Absolutely. You better surrender them too. 
God doesn't have to even have to give it to you to use you in that area. Here's a shocker. God could use me in accounting if he wanted. That is the biggest mystery. I think that's for a reason. <laughs> Not an accountant. And so that's the point here. That's the point. He's referring back to somebody with a right heart. And he said, if you don't come with that right heart, there's not a communication. There's not communication with us. And so let's, we should ask ourselves, this is some tough questions. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> One, are you praying? I'm not talking about 911 prayers. We all have those, right? We need God when we can't go anywhere else. How would you parents like that if your kids only contacted you when they had nowhere else to turn? And then once that crisis was over, they were like, see you later. I'll call you on the next crisis. Is that love? I would say no. Yeehaw, aren't you glad you came? God is not a 911 service. He doesn't, he's also not an insurance agent. He doesn't sell fire insurance. Well, if you turn your life over, you'll avoid hell. You know, salvation is so much more than avoiding hell. Huh? That's actually kind of a residual thing. And I understand it's a pretty important one. But it's a secondary thing that happens. Salvation is victory in the moment every day. Salvation is also not just heaven. How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you have ever prayed to understand what all Jesus took upon himself on the cross? How many of you have prayed and ask God, what did you really do for me when you saved me? You ever prayed that? How many of you ever prayed, oh God, get me out of this? Yeah, for most of us. How many of you have ever prayed and said, Lord, I just want to know you? I'll read your word. Some people are just so... Stoked to know this book and they know to know everything about it. And you know what? You can know everything about this book and never meet the author. You can get all the facts and never know him. You can get all the information and come across super smart. I met a ton of them in school. They had all this knowledge, but they had no application. They had no, you, you watched their lives and it didn't jive. Knowing, I'm, let me tell you something. We're, we're instructed and commanded to know this book. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not belittling that position. But I'll tell you this. This will pass away one day. When it's all accomplished. We're told that. But there's somebody 
who will never pass away. That we're going to be with forever. I know, I know you guys are getting uncomfortable. That's okay. I don't mind making you uncomfortable. Good. Ask if it's true. If it's not true, and you can show me scripture where it's not true, I'll, I'll stand up here and say I was wrong. But it says in the book that not one jot or tittle of this will pass away until it's all accomplished. And then when it is, it is. And so I want to focus on the eternal. Now Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? John 1, 1 and 1, 14. And so we're not separating Him from that. But the question is, are we praying? Are we praying to know Him? Are we praying because of a relationship? Are we, are we just simply... Marking time with, are we having organ call? I heard a preacher call it that once. Which organ is hurting today? Is it your liver, your eyes, your, you know, whatever? We don't need an organ call. We need people who are madly, passionately in love with Jesus on their knees, praying, seeking his heart and mind and his power and his kingdom on earth and are willing to do whatever it takes and are going to get down here until their knees bleed to see a move of God that the city's never seen where everybody asks what's happening and we say his name is Jesus. Amen. Where is it today? Everybody wants, <laughs> we look for churches in a self-centered way. Well, what does it have to offer me? I actually told a couple people, what do you have to offer us? Oh, yeah, that's self-centered. I said, you're right. Now let's get to it. What's God up to here? We may not want you. <laughs> that's biblical. Jesus sent them away because he knew their heart. You know, I've got a responsibility to not let wolves in here. I have a responsibility to God, number one, to you, number two. Yeah. Amen. You know, I was telling, who was I telling this week? You know the shepherd's staff? Do you know what it was for? You know, it looks like the candy cane weren't coming into Christmas. The little hook part was to reach in and pull sheep, sheep, sheeps, <laughs> sheeps, sheep out of the thorns. But the straight part was for two things. Sheep that kept wandering off, the shepherds broke their legs. So they didn't wander off no more. We're going to leave that to the good shepherd. <laughs> but it was also to fight the bear and the wolf. You didn't go and negotiate and try and win them and turn them into a sheep. You killed them. Well, he's not nice. You need to be nice. Let me tell you something. I have watched the wolves come here and try to devour the sheep. And they're crafty. And we need to trust. You want someone to pray for? Pray for me that I have insight to know the difference between a sheep and a wolf. <clears throat> because as much as I hate to do the hard thing, I will do it. I will. I've done it at other churches. I've done it here. I've told people not to come back. The details were for protection of the sheep. Literal, physical protection of the sheep. 
I told them, don't come back till you come talk to me. I never shut the door, but I did escort them out the door. Now, I don't like that. My evangelist, my evangelistic uh, gifted people are, are reeling in their seats. I know that's hurting some of you. You want somebody with an evangelist heart? Go talk to Luis. He'll witness to anything that moves and has a heartbeat. So I'm sorry, Luis, if I'm hurting you. I want to win them too first. I want to win everybody to the Lord. I don't want there to be anybody. I don't care if you're tall or short or <clears throat> polka dotted, green, blue, yellow, white. I don't care. Because you're a heart and a soul. And that's what I say. But I will not let them come in. Are we praying? Are you guys praying? Do you realize that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood? Those people you think are your problem aren't your problem. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in high places. And if the enemy can pit us against God's target, he will. But you don't know them, man. They are just cranky. So are you at times. Thank you. Jada's cranky. All right. Thanks for coming to me, Mother. Are you praying? See, without prayer as a part of your life, you're going to miss out on the power and the relationship you share with Jesus Christ. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Two, are you praying because you love God or, and want to spend time with Him or your prayer is simply a list of what you want. I want you to be honest with you. you know, Lord, you know, what are our needs? No, 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 no. You know what? Our need is to be in fellowship. Our need is to hear his voice. Our need is to learn about him because we love him. Think about this. Think about if you were on a first date with somebody. Think back. Those of you who have to think back. Think back. What are some of the questions you have? What is your favorite color? We don't ask that anymore, do we? Some people who are married don't even know that answer. They kind of gather it over time. We don't ask that color. We don't ask that color. We don't ask that question anymore. What things do you like? What kind of movies do you go to? What is your favorite food? Do you even know what your spouse's favorite food is? Don't go with fried chicken. That's an easy one. Easy to say that. Have you ever asked them? Everybody's whispering, what's your color? What's your color? <laughs> we ask other things. We ask what they do. We ask if we get to know them because we want to know them. When you pray, do you ask questions to God to get to know Him because you want to? Or is it just the puzzling questions of life? We just want God to make sense of what doesn't make sense to us. Well, how about letting God be over the things that you think make sense to you, but really don't? Woo. The longer you're quiet, the longer I go. <laughs> right? What's happened to us? Let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the real stuff. Let's get into the heart of the matter. 
Are you praying because you want to spend time with him? Or just a list? Listen, the Bible tells us, I'm going to give you a verse. Seek him first, and all these things will be added to you. Him! Not what he can do, not what he can deliver for you, not what he can help you out of, not what storm he can control. Seek him, him, him. And then the rest of it takes care of itself. Because you know what happens? Here's what really happens. When you seek him first, all this stuff you were concerned about, don't even amount to a hill of beans. Because you have seen him and heard him. And nothing else matters. You know he's in control of it. You don't even have to worry about it anymore. Amen. We live in this low boy state all the time instead of shooting higher on things above. It's ridiculous. Three. <laughs> Three. When your life and heart align with God's plans, then your prayers change and improve. When your heart and life align with God's plans, then your prayers naturally change and get heard. Why would they ask him to teach them how to pray? You ever wondered that? I wonder lots of us could through. <laughs> Why did they even ask Jesus if it's just talking to God? Because they didn't know and they wanted to know. They were seeking knowledge and information because they wanted to do it right. We know they were forgiving others, so we also know there were wrongs being done to them if they had to forgive, right? As I have forgiven, past tense, so forgive me. And so if we're not going to live it out, then it stops the communication. <laughs> there are these three preachers. I can't tell you how many of these things I've said in on It's just be thankful that God's called you to something else. <laughs> there are these three preachers sitting around talking about the best positions for prayer. One of them said, no, you got to be kneeling. you got to be kneeling. They were having this conversation outside. There was an electrician, a master electrician lineman up there doing his work. And all this was going on. And he's like, oh, you got to kneel before God if you're going to pray. For God to hear you. And then the one next to him said, oh, no, that's not the proper position. He said, it's standing with your hands lifted up and eyes closed, praying to God. That's when he hears you. And the third preacher went to school, both of them. And he said, brothers, that's not right. You got to be prostrate on the ground. You're faced in the dust, praying, earnestly seeking God. And while all this was going on, the lineman was listening. You know, you kind of hear all the conversations as we all hear. And he had resisted jumping into this conversation. He couldn't resist anymore. He said, brothers, let me tell you something. 
The position for prayer I found most effective in my life is when I was hanging from a wire on a pole <laughs> and seeking God. When he was dangling 30 feet in the air, upside down. And you know why? Because he knew he needed him. And that is the big lie that we fall into. Is we think that when things are fine, then we don't need him. Let me tell you something. We need him every minute, every hour, of every day, for everything in our life. We live and move and have our being in Him. And without Him, we are in big trouble. <laughs> We're in big trouble without Him. And so this morning, this is a model for us. We should pray about the thing. Now, don't be careful because I've fallen into the trap of making a list of the things that are important to God. And I'm just praying that. And it becomes, uh, it becomes vain repetitions. We talked about that last week. Don't let it become that. We're not even meant to pray this back. It's a model. We're not to climb in it and drive down the street or fly in the air. It's a model. And I'm not even supposed to pray the actual Lord's Prayer either. That was His prayer for the moment. I'm supposed to pray about the things that are important to God. In this moment. And hear from him now. Now, we hear together, we hear individually, we're different parts, but we're of the same, we're of the same ministry. And so we need to be praying, folks. We're gonna actually bring that into our our Christmas Eve service this year. I'm really looking forward to that part of service. I hope you'll be here. But the question is, are we pray are you praying? Are you praying? Real prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.